Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis along with Drew Lerner. Today we'll be talking about all the sports media news of the past week. But first, if you have not already, please subscribe to the SMW podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. So let's start with the NFL. Week five of the season, Cowboys 49ers, most watched game of the weekend despite a big blowout in favor of the 49ers. The Cowboys have now played four out of their five games complete blowouts. Three of them they won, one of them they lost. The three they won, viewership was down. The one they lost, viewership was up. I don't think that's a complete coincidence. I think people are likely to stick around a little bit longer when the Cowboys are getting smoked than if they are doing the smoking. But uh, it was a pretty big audience for that game. A lot of hype going in. Not as many viewers as the previous week's Kansas City-New York game. We can, you know, maybe for the obvious reasons, it was a closer game. There was a certain celebrity in the crowd. Who knows? But it was not as big a draw as that, but still a pretty big draw. And in fact, the largest week five Sunday night audience on record, I went back and looked. There's no Monday night game on ABC in week five uh, from 2001 to 05 that had a larger audience either. So top primetime week five audience since at least 2000, 24.29 million on NBC, add in the Adobe Analytics number, into 26 million. All those superlatives stand even on a Nielsen-only basis. So you don't even need the Adobe Analytics to get to to those superlatives. NBC has now won the week three out of five times this NFL season. Not usual. A lot of people don't understand the 425 window is almost always the window of the week. Every week, the top audience is in that 425 window. Sunday night football typically is way lower than that, not even just lower. In a a typical week, the 425 window will get you 23, 24, 25 million, and Sunday night football might be 18 or 19 million. But for whatever reason this season, they've been, you know, obviously they've had the Cowboys twice, they've had Kansas City twice. They have had a very front-loaded, very strong schedule, and they've, you know, reaped the rewards with some tremendous numbers to start. And anytime you can beat that 425 window three times in the first five weeks, there's a little bit of champagne being popped at NBC, just a little bit. All right, Drew, I'll bring you in. Yeah, you covered a lot of the uh, you know the points I wanted to touch on as well, right? Um, you know, second straight week where Sunday Night Football has beaten that national afternoon window this time on CBS, um, and they cleared them by about you know 1.1 million, so. Not not even particularly close. Um, and you're right. NBC has had quite the front-loaded schedule. You know, I don't think this is kind of sustainable. If you look at the rest of their Sunday night schedule, this was probably considered um, NBC's top game of the year, honestly, right? Um, the Super Bowl favorite in San Francisco. Uh, Dallas, obviously, always a huge ratings draw. I don't think it really gets too much better from here for NBC. 
Uh, and then if you look at um, the Fox schedule down the line, they're pretty backloaded with a lot of Cowboys games. So I think we'll probably see a rebound for that 425 window later in the season. But for now, like you said, popping bottles at, in uh, Stanford, Connecticut and uh, NBC Sports headquarters. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you can't go wrong with Kansas City. You can't go wrong with uh, Dallas. Uh, and uh, certainly getting two good games with Kansas City has been a benefit as well. Uh, you know, those could have easily been blowouts, certainly of the Jets. And even the Lions, nobody knew going in that whether or not Detroit was really for real. So things have worked out quite well to start. Uh, let's take a look ahead at what's to come. Looking further down the line, uh, Chicago against the Chargers, that's a good flex candidate on the 29th. Uh, I would look at Jacksonville, you know, Jaguars, Steelers could be a good one for that night. Uh, uh, here's the thing, John. Let's let's look even a little further down the line, week 10 and week 11. Um, because remember, they can only flex a maximum of two games before the NFL kind of takes over in week 12, right? And decides at their discretion. So you have... Pretty much three main flex candidates with Bears Chargers week eight, and then the Jets and Raiders in week ten. That's a dud. Vikings and then, Broncos That's exactly good. the following week Vikings Broncos another pretty big dud. So you can only flex two out of those three games if you're NBC. So as you mentioned, it will probably come down to the uh, one p.m. games on those weeks if there's any good candidates. Well, that's uh, one. I I keep I keep uh, New York Vegas. I keep that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, New, the, the Jets are they're the Jets are not a great team, but they're a good enough draw. They're holding up as a draw, and the Raiders are the Raiders. Uh, and uh, you know, 49ers Jaguars would be a great game, but you know, I I don't know that they could flex that. Um, but that would be a nice a really. Yeah. Nice that sounds protected to me <laughs> uh, but then again i mean is anyone really protecting a jaguars game at this stage i mean it's still pretty early in the trevor lawrence era to be protected that's true and that could be a good one obviously packers steelers is protected i mean i don't think there's any doubt about that on cbs even though the packers aren't that good that's just one of those that's one of those matchups that just reads as protected um so mm -hmm. i i you know if I could get 49ers Jaguars, I might flex out Jets Raiders, but I think I keep that game. Uh, but the, the games you got to flex are the Bears, Bears Chargers, and Vikings Broncos. You got yeah. Vikings Broncos. That need, they need to flex that today. I do want to talk about John, um, the NFL Network London game, Bills and Jaguars, uh, 5.1 million for that 9:30 a.m. Eastern time window. NFL Network. Uh, it was a competitive game, uh, led right up until the 1 p.m. Eastern window. Uh, how does that compare to the past NFL Network uh, London games? And um, would you say that's a, that's a pretty good number for them? It's an okay number. Down from last year, New York against Green Bay. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, gonna, that's a tough act to follow. Um, but uh, solid number, pretty low for an NFL game, but it's 9 a.m. on NFL Network. You're not going to do much better than that. So, uh, you know, uh, I think you'll take it. It was a really entertaining game to me, but I'm, I, I, I don't really know uh, the, the art of football the way a more ardent fan would. Uh, it seemed entertaining to me, but a lot of other folks were complaining about the number of flags 
uh, and, uh, you know, kind of the start and stop nature of the game. But uh, I thought it was entertaining. I thought Rich Eisen was interesting in that role. Um, you know, doing NFL play-by-play in a fully national window is a big deal. I thought he was interesting. I'm not, I mean, that, that sounds like faint praise, but I mean, it's tough because, you know, he's non-traditional. Mm-hmm. He had a non-traditional sound to him. So, uh, and then he, he did like a David Spade reference. He said like, you know, welcome David Spade. Did you uh, I, mu- I must've missed that. Which was like, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess it's from his radio show. Yeah. Hey, I, I do think Rich Eisen's kind of a breath of fresh air. He's not something I'd want every week, but um, it, as a bit of a change of pace, um, it is good. And he's usually in these uh, you know, lower profile NFL network games anyway. Well, he's yeah. only in these lower profile NFL network games, yeah. right? So I enjoy it. You know, these are games that you can afford to skip, even if you're an ardent NFL fan. But if you do tune in, you're getting something a little different, non-traditional. And I like that. Nothing wrong with him at all. I didn't think he was bad. I just different, right? You know, yeah. Like yeah. He's but, got a he's got a unique style. Yeah. yeah. Well avant-garde movie, you know. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. That's a pretty good way to put it, actually. Uh, I am interested in, you know, maybe you don't have these uh, numbers readily available, but if you do, how does, um, you know, that those morning NFL games, and especially, you know, this last one that was actually a good matchup and on linear television, how does that cut into the the pregame shows on on Fox and CBS? That's a really good question. I wish I'd prepared an answer. You kind of cut me off guard. Yeah, because I'm just noticing. I, I feel like the so this week the Fox NFL Sunday got 3.1 million and yeah, CBS got the, um, 2.7. So that's a little, a little lower than normal. Quite just, yeah, quite a bit lower than they usually get. Um, so yeah, clearly an impact there. Uh, I can't deny it. I'm I'm sure there's a lot of things that the NFL has done, a lot of additions that Fox and CBS didn't like. And uh, putting a 9.30 a.m. game that eats into their pregame audience is probably on that list, uh, along with the competing doubleheaders in week one and and all sorts of other things. But you take what you have to take to ear the NFL. So, you know. How about Joe Buck yesterday hosting a Monday Night Countdown? Scott Van Pelt said we're taping Tuesday evening. He said maybe within the last 10 minutes, he'll be back on the air Thursday after his vocal issue. So uh, Buck filled in for him. Both Bucks, uh, uh, Joe Buck and Michelle Beister Buck filled in. Uh, Joe is an interesting character. He spent so long trying to mimic Pat Summerall that people had the sense that he had no pulse. Uh, What Pat Summerall did work for Pat Summerall, but, you know, it didn't work for Joe Buck. And so sometimes I wonder if he's over, if he has to overcompensate so people know that he has a personality. He did do Joe Buck Live. Now, of course, as a good sports media writer, I probably should have watched a single episode, but I didn't. I just read about it. I know that uh, that guy from Mad TV and Howard Stern lit him up on that show, Artie Lang. I know that. But I don't even think I actually watched the clips of Artie Lang on the Joe Buck show. I mean, I don't think I've seen any of it. So I don't know what he was like on that show. Uh, I, he he rarely has a showcase for his personality. Uh, and he's kind of been letting a little bit more of it out since moving to ESPN and ABC. Uh, it was interesting, a little bit shaky. You can't expect your play-by-play voice to do double duty and to, to be great on, on such short notice. Uh, it was as good as it could have been. 
Um, you know, the dynamic between Buck and his wife, uh, Michelle Weisner Buck, was interesting. Uh, a little avant-garde, like Rich Eisen. I'm not sure if I can say it was good. I don't think it was bad. It's just different. Um, I, I think the most uh, intriguing um, part of this story here is that we now have a pattern with Scott Van Pelt. This is not a one-time thing. Uh, this is twice now that he's lost his voice. Luckily, you know, the first time it was not in such a high leverage position like, um, you know, Monday Night Countdown. It was just at the end of one of his Sports Center shows. But um, is this something that we need to expect that we need to factor in from SVP now? Well, you know, look, I mean, it is, it's not serious or anything, but the human body breaks down as time goes on. You use your voice over and over again. I mean, I'm not trying to take it to a, to a dark place, but, you know, Dick Vitale and all the things he's dealing with his, with his vocal cords, right? You can mess your vocal cords up with all the talking people do every single day for years and years and years at this high level, straining your voice over and over again. I mean, I'm sure, you know, SVP will be fine, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, the vocal cord is simply another, what, muscle, I guess? I don't know if yeah. it's a no, it honestly surprises me that it doesn't happen more often to more uh, broadcasters because, I mean, heck, even uh, you know, in my everyday life, if I have a day where I'm speaking a lot, the next day, you know, my voice is is kind of shot. You know, I can't uh, I can't project as much as normal. Maybe um, you know, maybe these people just have great you know tea regiments or something, and uh, <laughs> you know, take great care of their their voice and their lungs, um, and their throat, but uh yeah for i think for a normal person if you're you know projecting uh your voice for an hour two hours three hours every night um that can definitely take its toll all right john let's transition it to college football now um not too much to talk about ratings wise i mean the red river rivalry obviously got a great number that averaged 7.87 million viewers across the uh, ABC and ESPN2 simulcast. Um, other than that, you know, nothing super notable this week. But there is some news with the Big Ten. Next season, they will be airing more Friday night games across the Fox properties. And so this could be Fox Broadcast, Fox Sports 1, um, possibly even Big Ten Network. Who knows? It was not specified. But, you know, this kind of makes a lot of sense. Uh, Fox... Uh, recently let their contract expire with WWE for Friday Night SmackDown. So they will have some open inventory on their broadcast channel. They will have increased inventory from the Big Ten with the addition of the four West Coast schools. So this kind of made a lot of sense. I think a lot of people were anticipating this, but we did get some official comment from uh, the commissioner, Tony Petiti. So what is your take on... Um, you know, fr more Friday night college football next season. Well, I think it's an inevitability. Once Fox got rid of SmackDown, they needed, you know, inventory. I mean, I think one of the main reasons they got rid of SmackDown is because they needed space for this Friday night football. They'll probably put a lot of sports on Friday nights. I think Friday nights are a great opportunity. Uh, there's not a lot of great Friday night programming scripted or even reality. Shark Tank is the biggest hit on Friday nights uh, on the big four. So I don't think Fox will be alone there either. Big Ten, I mean, for the longest time, the Big Ten was averse to, you know, doing what TV wanted. No primetime games in November with the Ohio State or whatever. Well, those days are over, especially with all the expansion. This is a great opportunity for 
the smaller teams, but it'd be crazy to give the smaller teams that, you know, platform. Like, think about it. Just last week, two terrible teams, Nebraska and Illinois. These are, these are maybe once proud programs, but nothing to be proud of in the last decade or so. Uh, and they got 1.3 or so million. Let me, let me get that exactly right. Yeah. 1.36 million viewers. Uh, that game's not getting that on a Saturday, right? I mean, you would think it wouldn't get that on a Saturday. So it's an opportunity for those smaller schools, especially if those games are on big Fox. Would Fox want to give a night of prime time to the lower tier big 10 teams? Cause that's a real question. Who are the big 10 teams that are going to get that Friday night slot? Because if it's Nebraska and Illinois, yeah. But if it's Ohio State or Michigan, you know, is it going to be marquee level teams? Because remember, when Fox had Thursday night football, they drew from their Sunday afternoon games to put better games on Thursday night. And it would be very interesting to see if Fox would, in order to build something that is new, they already built something new with Big Noon. Now you can build something else that's new, which is not just a Friday night game to fill time, but a Friday night destination We've not had that in college football. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point, and I imagine they'll probably do a bit of a mix of both, right? Um, you know, there's going to be some duds, of course. You can't have Michigan or Ohio State play every Friday, but I imagine they're going to give a lot of exposure to those West Coast teams, at least at first, um, kind of get the nation familiarized with the Big Ten branding around USC and Oregon and Washington, right? Um, you know, put them in a standalone window. Uh, and I think these teams will actually draw, even if they are playing, you know, one of the lower tier Big Ten teams like a, you know, like a Nebraska or an Illinois. I do believe that um, there's going to be room for some marquee matchups. And I, I think building the brand of a Friday night football game, similar to what they did with Big Noon, is actually you know really smart for Fox because they're going to have so much inventory with the Big Ten now that the conference is 18 teams. Some weeks you might have a dozen games to choose from, right? Because I imagine they um, the commissioner said that there's going to be nine Friday night windows, at least nine Friday night windows. So that means there's going to be room for some non-conference games in there. So there will be opportunities to put some uh, marquee matchups there, uh, and and they truly could build it out into its own brand. Well, also, you know, the only problem is you have now Friday night, Saturday at noon, Saturday at three thirty, Saturday at eight on NBC. NBC has had a terrible schedule so far, awful games, and part of that is NBC prioritizing Peacock. I mean, clearly. I mean, they're, Peacock's is going to get Ohio State before NBC gets Ohio State. Uh, so, you know, that that's part of it. But uh, are there going to be good enough games to go around? Let's take a look at Ohio State's schedule next year in the Big Ten. So away at Michigan State, Northwestern, Oregon, and Penn State. Home for Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, Nebraska, and Purdue. So the difference between a marquee package and one that isn't is the marquee package is going to get Ohio State and Oregon and Ohio State and Penn State. The crummy one is going to get Ohio State, Iowa, and Ohio State, you know, uh, Northwestern. And so it'll be very interesting to see how they parcel that out. Because, you know, you get Ohio State, you get Ohio State, but you get Ohio State against Oregon, that means something more than you get Ohio State against some of these other teams, right? And I I think another wrench in this is that you, you will not see them put an Ohio State home game on Friday or a Penn State home game on Friday. This is going to be 
probably exclusive to who these bigger teams play on the road um, because the, the administrators at these bigger schools know that they cannot sacrifice a Saturday home game playing on a Friday night. Now for, you know, a Nebraska or a Northwestern or, or a Maryland, playing on a Friday night actually might not be too bad. You might actually draw a little more attention knowing that you're in a primetime national window. Um, the fans, you know, when the, I guess there's not as much tradition um, can actually buy into something like that. Whereas at Ohio State, they're, they're pretty set in their ways. And I don't think they would be too thrilled to um, go tailgate on a Friday evening. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and uh, it'll probably be your Michigan at Illinois. You know, and like you said, Ohio State at Northwestern. Well, let's remember the report did say that Michigan will not play Friday evening games full stop. Um, really? Yes, it, this is what the athletic reported. And then it hedged on teams like Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa saying they have, quote, logistical challenges that would prevent them from hosting except in specific circumstances. So um, it 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 did say Michigan will just not play in Friday evening games. I'm not sure. It didn't say there, there's there's a definite power structure in the Big Ten now, um, and there are a few a handful of schools that have influence, and then you have the rest of the have-nots that are just around at your beck and call to play whenever you want. Is I mean it's an 18 team or 16? What is it? 18, 18, 18? I believe after the expansion. Yes. And so, like a solid number of those teams, addition by subtraction, the next set of realignment is going to be kicking some of these teams out. It's going to be getting rid of Rutgers and getting rid of, you know, well, who else? Rutgers, Northwestern. I mean, I'm going to say Illinois. That that would be a little much because I know Illinois has a proud history, but well, no, you got to keep Illinois for basketball. I forgot. You got to keep Illinois for basketball. That's the issue. A lot of these uh, Big Ten schools that are crummy at football are are pretty big basketball powers, uh, like Maryland and Purdue and Illinois. Rutgers and Northwestern aren't. I'm not fully serious. I don't want people mad at me or anything, but uh, you know, no, but you're right though. This is the logical next step. Even with the four new teams, even with those West Coast teams, I don't know that there's enough inventory to go around for a for this many must packages. Big Noon has to have a big game. CBS has to have a big game. NBC, well, evidently doesn't have to have a big game based on this year's schedule. And now Friday night on Fox? Uh, it, might, it might be a little, a few too many mouths to feed. I agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's move on to Major League Baseball playoffs here, John. Um, you know, we talked last week that if we're the, if we're the MLB, we're looking for high-quality games, series that go deep. And so far, not so good. Um, the four wild card series all ended in sweeps, two zero, and um, it's looking like the uh, the divisional series will kind of follow a similar trend. We have a couple series that are knotted up as we record on Tuesday evening at one one. That would be the Phillies and the Braves, which has probably been the most entertaining series thus far. And then Houston and Minnesota is also tied at one to one. And then Dodgers, Diamondbacks is a 2-0, as well as the Rangers and the Orioles. So um, haven't had any series go the distance yet. Maybe we can get one of these DS games to, to go the distance. But um, as it stands, 
nothing has really uh, stood out uh, from a viewership perspective. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. No, not really. I will say uh, the game last night was between the Phillies and the Braves was a throwback. It's like, oh, right. This is why people enjoy October baseball. I forgot. Uh, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the magic of October baseball. You're not looking for the Astros just dominating somebody or, you know, the Texas Rangers destroying the the nicest story of the season in, in three quick games. The Diamondbacks, I actually like what the Diamondbacks are doing. It's kind of fun. Uh, that That's an upset, at least. Uh, not something anybody expected. Um, but uh, certainly in the AL, man, Houston versus Texas is going to be a drag for the rest of the country, unless the games are great. The games are going to have to be really good because people don't like the Astros, and I don't think they care about the Texans. Well, they don't care about the Texans. They don't care about the Rangers either. And very regional, hey, go back to 2000, Yankees-Mets, that regional thing is a problem at times. You, you want more parts of the country involved. So that, unless it goes seven and it's really heated, exciting, high-quality baseball, I just don't see that being good, Houston versus Texas. You needed Baltimore to advance if you were, if you were Fox because of the storyline and the Houston versus Baltimore, good versus evil kind of thing, right? Or the matchup of underdogs, Baltimore and Minnesota would have been nice. Uh, the other side of it, the Phillies are exciting. The Braves, that could be the series of the postseason. That looks like it could go the full five. Uh, and uh, again, the, the Diamondbacks are at least doing something interesting, you know, and they're different and they're newish, believe it or not. I mean, even though they won a World Series 20 whatever years ago, they're a relatively recent team without a lot of tradition, despite the fact that they won a World Series nearly a quarter century ago. Uh, so there's a fresh aspect to them uh, that uh, could could make that worthwhile. Phillies Diamondbacks is not what you want if you're TBS, you want Phillies Dodgers. But, it, you know, could be worse. But again, all it all comes down to the quality of the games. And, you know, so far, there's been one good one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. The really the highlight and the only highlight of the postseason so far has been that Phillies Braves game two, um, where the the game ended on a double play and there was a great call by Brian Anderson. Um, you know, we already knew that this postseason would lack kind of those major market teams. Um, major League Baseball would certainly like to see Philly and, and LA in the NL. Um or even Atlanta and in, uh, in LA. Uh, but that looks unlikely uh, at this point with Diamondbacks up to 2-0. Um, but maybe there is something there with the Diamondbacks. There is a newness, a freshness. You know, typically that doesn't rate. And in a, you know, kind of media environment, a sports media environment where baseball really doesn't get the time of day uh, during its postseason, it might be kind of hard to narrative build around a team that no one really knows much about. Um, so I, I can't see the Diamondbacks actually ending up as a, uh, as a good viewership story for Major League Baseball. But uh, for baseball fans, you know, that, that could be nice. There are no good viewership stories in this postseason unless you've got uh, five-game Phillies-Braves, seven-game Phillies-Dodgers, and then a seven-game phillies Astros, I guess, World Series. It is what it is. You can't rig the games. If you could, I mean, 
if he could get away with rigging the games, then hey, sure, let's get the Yankees and Mets in there. Um, but uh, you take what you can get, and look, if if this if if it has to be a field of teams that are not great for TV, let's at least have some good games. That's I mean that that I don't think it. it I understand when sports fans get upset when people say, "Well, let's get the big markets in there." Okay, I get it. I get why that would annoy people. But hey, let's get some good games. Everybody should want some good games, right? So, you know, go tell the Twins to uh, wake up and make up this six-run deficit here in the top of the ninth that they've found themselves in against Houston, right? Let's get some good games. This is, you know, this is boring so far, except, of course, for the one game that was good. So we'll see if the rest of October can build off of that game, too, between Atlanta and Philadelphia. I agree. Well, let's move on to a postseason that has actually um, delivered a good game, and that is the WNBA. Um, it was a pretty good game, right? I didn't actually watch, but. Well, yeah, of course, because it was opposite the NFL. Yeah. I did not see as much of it as I normally would. I don't really think it's been necessarily the case that the Aces and the Liberty have played good games against each other. Their most watched team in the regular season, the Liberty won by 40. So, you know, they 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 don't necessarily play good games against each other. We expect good games, but they haven't played one against each other yet. Gotcha. Best game of the postseason was a couple of games in the Sun Liberty series. But the best game was Mystics Liberty game two that went to the overtime and sent New York to the uh, to the semifinals. But look, for the WNBA, 729,000 viewers for game one of the finals. Uh, most watched game one of the finals since 2000. Comet to Liberty on Lifetime. So I guess, you know, yeah, granted, I like I said, I, I did not see the game. I was uh, with the rest of America watching the NFL, but. Um, they do have one more Sunday window, which would be game three. Uh, but other than that, you have Wednesday evening at nine for game two. And then game four would also be a Wednesday. Uh, and then game five, if it got there, would be a Friday evening. So let's, um, you know, let's game this out. Let's say it goes five games and they're getting that Friday at 9 p.m. Uh, October 20th. Can that eclipse the one million mark? I think they've got a good shot at a million, even just in game two, because 729,000 opposite the NFL wasn't even that good of a game. The hype is high. I think there's more people who are open to the WNBA than people think. It's just that the league doesn't do a great job of putting the game in front of them. So there's a wide knowledge of this series. People know what's going on. ESPN, you know, people complain that ESPN shoehorns in WNBA coverage. Well, they do. They do. But like they 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 shoehorn in a lot of stuff. Now, are they shoehorning this in against the broad interest of sports fans? Yeah, they they probably are. They probably are. Um, you know, what can I say? Uh, but I, I think because of that, there is a a higher level of awareness that could result in more people. Wednesday night, let's say the baseball game. What is that going to be? Phillies Braves. So the the one series that's been delivering good games. Let's say the baseball game is a blowout, uh, and you have something else going on, or you're just tuning into ESPN because it's ESPN. That's the great thing about ESPN. It's almost like a broadcast network. The same way you turn on your TV and you just go to ABC or CBS or NBC or Fox because that's just what you do. If you're a sports fan, you turn on your TV, you go to ESPN just to see what's on. That's what you're looking for. So. Um, I do think 
they should have figured out how to get that Friday night game this week because Colorado is on at nine. And that would have been a heck of a, a heck of an opportunity to have the WNBA on at seven leading into Colorado. Uh, now ESPN obviously has another college football game leading in. So maybe that would not have been available, but uh, you know, to me, if I'm the WNBA and we're putting together next year's final schedule, I don't want Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. I mean, that's kind of elongated anyway. Uh, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, and put that Friday game on at seven, leading into college football at nine. So ESPN doesn't have to give up a, a college football Friday, but they can still hear the WNBA that day. Uh, that's what I would do. Um, and uh, I would also consider trying to get one of those Friday games on ABC. So the WNBA game won at 729,000 viewers opposite the NFL. Two nights earlier, CBS gave up its entire Friday night in prime time to air a regular season NWSL match that had 638,000 viewers. And there was no NFL competition that night. So the WNBA is getting numbers opposite the NFL that the NWSL isn't getting. Granted, it's a regular season, but with no meaningful competition. To me, I think the WNBA at this point even if you want to argue that the WNBA isn't very popular, you wouldn't be wrong about that. Nothing on TV is popular. So you can really put the WNBA on on ABC on a Friday night in prime time without it being a charitable endeavor. In fact, it might be something that results in viewership going up for ABC, at least in some demographics, compared to their usual Friday night lineup of, and let me go uh, check spoiler TV here. Let's see, Shark Tank did great. Wow, 3.6 million. That's a great number in 2023. Then 2020 got 2.9 million. That's not bad. That's a, you know, Some yeah. stiff competition. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a lot for them to preempt given the WNBA would probably be maybe 1.1, 1.2 million at the most. The demographics now are a little bit different. Um, you know, 0.36 for Shark Tank and 0.29 for 2020. Game one in the demo 0.16. So, yeah. yeah, looking at the numbers that ABC gets, in, I, I forgot about 2020, you know, Hugh Downs, Barbara Walters. They're not walking through that door, but apparently people are still tuning into that show. Looking at the bigger picture, I mean, this is a, a great start for the WNBA. You know, highest rated game in 23 years, fourth most watched game overall. And you have the marquee matchup you were hoping for at the beginning of this year, right? So all the stars, so to speak, have aligned for the WNBA. Um, at the end of the day here, um, let's say this goes four games just to kind of hedge our bets between you know, a full five or a sweep. Um, what can we expect you know, the average viewership to be and what would be a success for the league this year? I think it'll end up averaging over 800,000. Um, I think the lowest you're going to get is those Sunday afternoon games opposite the NFL. The primetime games on ESPN should do better. So maybe if you get to five, maybe it averages 900,000 or something. You know, These are respectable numbers. Th this is not one of those years where you have to put on your PR hat to try to pretend that the numbers, you know, these aren't, they're not, you know, this is not the NBA, obviously. It's not certainly the women's college basketball but 729,000 viewers opposite the NFL with no meaningful lead in or lead out is good. I mean, it is, it's just, it's good. It's, it, that's not a bad number. Uh, most of the sporting events of the WNBA's at the WNBA's level 
that got that kind of number, you'd be going, hmm. let's look at F1, for example. F1 had the Qatar Grand Prix, same afternoon-ish window, a little bit earlier. Uh, and F1 for the Qatar Grand Prix was the same 0.45 rating and 824,000 viewers. So a larger audience, but about the same. We all know where F1 stands, right? F1, you know, it's up and coming. Now, this was on cable, right? But still, you know, for the WNBA to be about same where F1 is, I think is a good thing. Uh, there's a lot of positives there. Is the league leaving viewership on the table? Absolutely. This final should have been done on Labor Day weekend. That's when the finals should be. It's hard to make that happen in a 40-game season where you have to have the season start after the NCAA tournament is over because this isn't baseball. You can't have the number one pick come in 20 games into the season. But, um, you know, whatever it takes to get the season done before the NFL starts or fine, let's just avoid Sundays altogether. You know, uh, I actually came up with a little five-game schedule that would avoid the NFL and work between ESPN's uh, limitations on football. It'd be a Wednesday, Friday, not bad so far. Tuesday, Thursday, I got a little bit of a gap, then Tuesday again, right? It's not great, but you avoid the NFL. You have a couple of three days between games, with, eh, but they already have three days between games. Exactly. You know, and, and what's not great, John, is going up against the NFL, right? And they do it twice in a, in a five-game series. So, and it's it's two of the guarantee games, right? It's games one and three. So you're shooting yourself in the foot twice automatically, um, and you are still having some of those three-day gaps. I mean, to me, that makes way more sense um, from a league standpoint than what they currently do. Now, who knows? Um, what their broadcast partners at ESPN are telling them, right? They might be a little bit handcuffed. So I I don't think the WNBA league office wants to go against the NFL. I don't think they're actively yeah. choosing that. But um, I think there's got to be a way to highlight these games in better windows because, um, I mean, despite the good number, despite almost 800,000 people watching game one, um, you know, you're just really handcuffing yourself not uh with going against the nfl i think it i think that game could have had a million viewers based on the fact that it had seven hundred twenty nine thousand opposite the nfl i think that game could have had a million so uh, it's not every year you're going to have a matchup like this it's not every year you're going to get vegas new york and, and all the hype you want to maximize those numbers that was not the most watched game of the year it was a wings sparks game in in june sparks didn't even make the playoffs right uh, that had more viewers than that, very slightly more, 733,000. And that was boosted by an overtime lead-in between the Mystics and Liberty. But, uh, you know, anytime you have a matchup like this and it's not your most watched game of the season because you had a regular season game that did better, you got to start thinking about what you're doing. Okay, John, let's um, close out the show on a bit more of a somber note. Came out today uh, as we were recording that, Barry Melrose will be retiring from ESPN due to uh, Parkinson's disease. Obviously, uh, Melrose is a longtime staple of ESPN's hockey coverage, uh, makes making a lot of appearances on SportsCenter. And of course, uh, since ESPN got their NHL rights back last year, was a was a big part of their uh, NHL broadcast team 
the announcement was actually made by by his uh, longtime colleague and, and friend John Butchergrass on Twitter. Uh, a very touching statement from him. How how would you reflect on the career of uh, Barry Melrose? I mean, you're talking about the voice of hockey on ESPN for 20 years. He was it. They had Matthew Barnaby there for a little bit, but it was Barry Melrose. He was the only analyst. Uh, he devoted his professional life to promoting the game of hockey on ESPN. Uh, and uh, made probably more friends inside of Bristol than most people who work there. Uh, you know, it seems to be pretty beloved. And, you know, it was interesting, you know, uh, some, watching the video they did on, on SportsCenter today, uh, every now and again, you'll watch ESPN and it'll be like, the simulation is broken. And it's like, oh, right. I used to love ESPN. Wow. And some of those clips brought that back. Or even just the way that Levy was talking about Melrose. It was, you could almost remember the good old days, right? And he was so much a part of that. As much as even a Berman or a Stuart Scott or a Patrick or a Rich Eisen. He's very much a part of that version of ESPN that a lot of people fell in love with when they first started watching it. And uh, Vital, like a Dick Vital. And just like Vital and Stuart Scott, his style was not loved all the time. There were definitely, you know, people who were not always fans. But one of the things that happens as time goes along is the people who you might have found annoying or grating at various points, with longevity, you realize how much you've taken for granted their continuity over the course of your time watching sports as a fan. Uh, with Stewart, obviously, his passing was so much of that. But with people like Vital and Berman and obviously Barry Melrose, as they get older and you realize, wait a second, these guys have been here for this long? And, you know, uh, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it was an amazing run. And all those years being the only guy, they'd send Levy and Melrose to do the cup final. They wouldn't even give them a desk. I mean, I'm quite sure Levy and Melrose had to pay their own way to get to the cup final some of those years. Uh, and uh, the, the unfortunate thing isn't that he's retiring. It's that he's going to be dealing with this horrible, horrible disease of Parkinson's. And uh, that's, you know, if he was just retiring, you know, okay, fine. Uh, so it's really more that he's retiring and he's got this this difficult battle ahead of him. So hopefully he'll be able to 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 weather that uh, as much as he can. Well said, John. And I, I think um, just to me, it's um, it's so impressive how how ubiquitous Melrose is with hockey, considering the fact that the vast majority of his career at ESPN, they didn't even have hockey rights. I mean, um, my all of my formative years watching ESPN up until last season, they did not have NHL hockey, but everybody knew who Barry Melrose was, right? And I'm not even a hockey fan. And, but his appearances on all of their studio shows I mean, his flashy suits, his slicked back hair. I mean, it, it's iconic. And um, the fact that he was able to carve out that type of role um, and, and kind of penetrate sporting culture, despite the fact that ESPN really didn't have too much incentive to highlight hockey all that much uh, all those years. Uh, it's really 
a testament to his work at ESPN. And um, he will certainly be missed on my television screen. Yeah, you know, beyond anything else, it's just a lot of work to be the only analyst. You're there every single night they're doing coverage. This isn't like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Tim Legler, where you're there a lot, but you're not there every night. He was the only guy. And so it all fell to him. Uh, and uh, also, the only guy at ESPN, that's the biggest name in sports media. And, uh, you know, to be the only person carrying the torch for one of the four major sports at ESPN is is pretty wild. All right, John, um, that's a good place to end. Uh, NHL season does start tonight, so we will be keeping an eye on that, seeing how the opening week of the NHL season does. Obviously, some big storylines there to look out for. Um, why don't you tee us up for next week and close out the show? Yeah, next week we'll be talking more baseball playoffs, more NFL, NHL, everything that's going on. WNBA will be going on. The NBA, not yet here, but uh, things continue to uh, get busier and busier in the month of October. And we'll be here every step of the way, or at least, you know, some of the steps of the way, right here on the SMW Podcast. We'll see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.